All right. You know the drill. Welcome. And may, please make sure that you check in. We are in a series called Praxis, uh, which is based on the idea of our course of action, the habits that we take as followers of Jesus that will help us to grow. We use, at the beginning of this series, a spiritual greenhouse as kind of an analogy. If you uh, put a plant in a greenhouse, what you're doing is you're trying to maximize the environment for growth and fruitfulness. Uh, and in the same way, we want church to be a spiritual greenhouse to maximize growth and uh, fruitfulness. So our model, what we do, is based on what Jesus did. He would pray, teach, and heal. And praying is getting alone and building that relationship with our Heavenly Father. So that's no God. He taught others. He gathered people together and apprenticed them in his ways, and that's grow together. And he sent them out in order to go and make a difference, to meet the needs in the community and in the places where he went. And we go to make a difference. The whole bottom line, and if you're taking notes, I think this is the first fill-in for the whole section. The bottom line for this whole series is this, that you must connect relationally to grow spiritually. A lot of times we don't think about it that way. We think about if you know more of the Bible, that's an intellectual thing, or if you do certain things, if you go to church, if you read your Bible, if you have a daily devotional time, even though that's the kind of thing that we're talking about, ultimately, essentially, our faith is a relational faith. Our faith is built on the idea that you can have a new relationship with God through Jesus Christ and that he puts us in a family with brothers and sisters and that that's part of his plan and an essential part of the Christian experience. So you have to connect relationally in order to grow spiritually. And last week we asked, why don't, if that's the case, why don't we have better friendships in church? And part of the reason is that we sometimes don't follow the model that Jesus laid out for us. And so you can see how the things that we talked about last week can align with these issues. So you can go back and listen to that online or whatever. But um, the focus of this series is on those next steps. We welcome people wherever they are on their spiritual journey, but we encourage them along one step at a time. And there are six next steps that we are constantly encouraging. And in this series, the Praxis Grow series, we're focusing on those grow next steps, which are, and you see there, the under grow together, connecting in a small group relationally. And that was kind of the emphasis of last week is that we need to make relational connections with others in our church family if we're going to grow spiritually. And today we're gonna to focus on the second step that's related to growing together. And that is to invite others regularly. Until just recently, I've been using the word include. I actually like include a little bit better, but it's not quite as clear. The whole idea is that, and remember we're a relational faith, that God included us, that we were outsiders, we were unlike him, we sometimes didn't like him, and yet he made a way for us to be adopted into his family and made citizens in his kingdom. He included us. 
So if we are followers of Jesus, then we are going to be including others. But I chose invite as the word because I think that's a little bit more clear. And I'm going for clarity over nuance. We are constant. God has invited us into a relationship with him. And because we're his followers, we're constantly inviting others as well. So that's what we're going to be talking about today in this message of Praxis Grow. Part two is called, very creatively, Invite. So we're going to focus on that. And here's the question that I want to ask. That is, is it possible to miss how God is at work in the lives of the people around us? In other words, God is constantly at work. He is working in the lives of those around us. He wants to do things in and through in our lives and through our lives, but sometimes we miss it. Sometimes the very thing that we're praying for, maybe p- people that we are praying for, we miss how God wants to work in their lives. Sometimes the things that we are asking for, we will sometimes miss because we're not focused on the right thing. Let me illustrate it with this. I'm sure a lot of you have seen the video. It's a famous experiment from a couple of decades ago now. It's a video of people passing a basketball. Does anybody know yet what I'm talking about? There are people in white shirts. There are people in black shirts. And the experiment is you're supposed to watch the people in the white shirt pass the basketball and count how many times they pass the basketball to one another. So at the end of the video, you tell how many times you think the basketball got passed. But the real point of the experiment is not that at all. During the middle of all of these balls being passed around, a guy in a gorilla suit walks through the scene, stops, beats his chest, and then walks across. And you ask the people afterwards, did you see the guy in the gorilla suit? And most people didn't. Because why? Because they were focused. They had been told to focus on one particular thing. They're so focused on that that they miss this ridiculous experience that happens in the middle of the experiment. And I think that that sometimes what happens to us as well. That God is right there in the middle, not dressed in a gorilla suit, but he's right there in the middle of what was going on in our lives and ready to show us something, to do something for us, to use us for something, but we miss it because we're not focused on the right thing. So we're gonna change that today. Today, we're gonna be talking about this idea of invitations, of making an invitation, a relational invitation. And what we're gonna see, and this is the bottom line if you're taking notes, is that Jesus is always on mission. Jesus was always on mission. And because we're his followers, so are we. Jesus is always on mission, and so are we. And I'm going to give you three specific tips as you go through your life that you will not miss the man in the gorilla suit that's walking through your scene. You're going to look for the outsider. You're going to watch for the interested, 
and you're going to take the initiative. So the challenge is based on that, that when you encounter the outsider and the interested, take the initiative. Sometime during this week, you're going to have the opportunity to take a relational step. You're going to notice people who are outsiders or see people who are interested, express some kind of interest in something, and then that will be your cue to take the initiative. And we see Jesus doing this in this passage that we're looking at today. So if you want to follow along, I'll be reading Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Very familiar passage. Uh, very popular in children's ministry. So you, if you grew up in church, you probably heard this story early on. It's a great example of Jesus including others, the outsiders who are interested. It's the story of Zacchaeus. And it begins in Luke chapter 19 with verse 1. This is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood up before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor. Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, salvation has come to this house today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful that you did come to seek and save those who are lost that every one of us who is following, following you now has been one of those lost sheep that you sought out. Lord, I pray that we will gain today a new appreciation for your grace and goodness and kindness and bringing us into your fold. And I pray that you would help us to know how to, to be excited about the opportunity that we have to do the same thing to find those lost sheep and invite them into the shepherd's fold. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let's look at it together. Uh, first, I'm gonna kind of lay a groundwork because we're talking about Jesus being on mission and therefore so are we. So let's talk, let's talk about that. Let's talk about Jesus being on mission, always being on mission. He ends this passage explaining what was going on with this verse, Luke 19, 10, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. And this kind of explains everything that Jesus did, everything that he uh, everything that we see happening up until that point, he, this is his explanation. He was like, this is, the, this is the why behind why things unfolded the way they did. 
Because I, talking about himself, the son of man, came to seek and save those who are lost. I am on mission. I am focused on this. This is the kind of thing, the thing that you saw happen with Zacchaeus, this is the kind of thing that you're going to see if you hang around me. And because we are his followers, we should be seen and we should be doing the same kinds of things and seeing the same kinds of things. The first thing I want you to notice about this is in the very first verse. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. Other passages or other translations talk about he was just passing through. Uh, he, was, he was not going there necessarily to see Zacchaeus. Maybe he knew ahead of time, he knew his name, so somehow he had some kind of familiarity with him, but, but he was just passing through. He was going about his daily life, but in the midst of that, he was still on mission. He might have set out in the morning saying, I'm going to Jerusalem. I might pass through Jericho, but wherever I am, whether I'm in Jerusalem, whether I make it to Jerusalem, whether I'm passing through Jericho, wherever I am, I'm on mission. And in the same way, we are as followers of Jesus as well. I think sometimes we miss stuff that God wants to do in us and through us because we allow ourselves to be distracted by lesser things. Jesus, uh, or actually the Apostle Paul, talked about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where he says he, talking about Jesus, died for everyone so that those who receive his new life, in other words, you're a follower of Jesus, you have new life, what's your life look like now? This new life will no longer live for themselves. In other words, their priorities are different. They have different objectives in life now. What are those objectives, Paul? Instead, they will live for Christ who has died and was raised for them. In other words, <clears throat> I was dead in my trespasses and sins. God made a way for me to be born again, to made, uh, be made li alive again. Give me new life. That life belongs to Jesus. He gets to set the priorities. When we say yes to Jesus as Savior, we are also saying yes to him as Lord. He gets to call the shots. Our priorities are now his. We are on mission. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in the, a little bit later in that same chapter when he says, we are therefore Christ ambassadors. In other words, we represent Christ wherever we go. You might think that you're an accountant. You might think that you're a teacher. You might think that you are a cashier. You might think you're a stay-at-home mom. And you may be all of those things. But in the midst of that, you have a greater identity and a greater purpose. And that is you are an ambassador for Christ. You are representing Christ to the world. And you have a message to communicate in the midst of that. It says, so therefore we employ you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. That is the essence of our mission. God has made a way through his son in order for us to be reconciled, to be made right, to restore. Reconciliation is a relational concept. It's the, the relationship is restored. Be reconciled to God. So Jesus was always on mission. We also, as his followers, are always on mission. We have a primary identity and objective. We are Christ's ambassadors. So 
if we are doing that, how can, what can we learn from this story about how to be on mission? What are the things that we are looking for? The first thing I want you to look for are the outsiders. Here's what it says. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. So what, what do we know about Zacchaeus? He was the chief tax collector in the region and he had become very rich. Now, many of you will know tax collectors were, were Jewish people who collaborated with the Roman government in order to collect taxes from their own people. And as part of the deal, they could collect not just what was required, but as much as they possibly could. And so they were looked down on, they were despised because not only were they collaborating with the enemy, but they were also enriching themselves at the at the expense of their neighbors. And we know that that's what's going on here because he was a tax collector and because he had become very rich. Now, what that means for Zacchaeus is he was an outsider. He was rejected by most likely his family, his community. He was looked down upon. He was someone that you did not want to hang out with. When the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders, as we'll see later, would condemn Jesus. It, it, he said, look at the people he hangs out with, tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors were at the top of the list, the people that respectable people, religious people, godly people would not hang out with. He was an outsider. And if we are going to reach out to the outsider, it helps for us to recognize that we were outsiders too. That's what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans when he says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Tax collectors and sinners, we're all in that same boat. We were outsiders. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So, at what point in your spiritual journey did Christ die for you? Well, before you were even born, before you even started the journey. But when he encountered you, you were a sinner. You were on the outside. And there is a possibility, there's a tendency for us. We, we naturally want to hang out with, we relate to people that are like us. But God reaches out to those who are unlike him. And part of his mission is to bring the outsider in. And Jesus was always doing this because he was always on mission. And if we're his followers, so will we. So we're going to look for the outsider. Who are the people that aren't quite a part of your circle, that wouldn't normally be a part of your circle, that most people might rule out as being a part of their circle? Be on the lookout for them because you never know who God might be at work in their lives, what, what, what people God might be at work in their lives. And so the other thing that I want you to do is watch for the interested. Zacchaeus was the ultimate outsider, but he also was interested. He was showing some interest in Jesus. Wait, we see that in the next couple of verses. He, Zacchaeus, tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road for Jesus was going to pass that way. 
despite his history, despite his vocation, despite his status as an outsider, he was interested in Jesus and was taking steps in order to see Jesus. There was some interest there. One of the uh, key principles of the Experiencing God study that has stuck with me is a reminder that none of us come to God, are drawn to Jesus on our own. That if somebody has an interest in Jesus, that is evidence that God is at work in their lives. So look for that. Because what we want to do is see where God is at work, this is more experiencing God, and join him in what he's doing. That's a whole lot easier than trying to make something happen yourself. If God is already doing it, and you can just kind of slide in and join in with what he's doing, that works a whole lot better than deciding what you want to do and asking for his help. So we see, this, this is described again in the uh, Jesus' teaching, he says, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Now, this is a paradox or a tension within our faith that on the one hand, we have personal responsibility to say yes to Jesus. On the other hand, if we say yes to Jesus, that is evidence of God at work in our lives. These are not contradictory. They're held in tension. They don't need to be resolved. They need to be kept in tension. And so it's two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, we have the responsibility. On the other hand, God is at work and drawing people to himself. So if you see, this is what you're gonna look out for. If you see people, when you're talking about going to church or you're talking about your faith or whatever the case may be, and Jesus comes up or faith comes up or, and there's some kind of interest there, that should be like a flashing light that goes off in your head because you're like, ah, Maybe God is at work there. Let's, let's see. Let's pursue that a little bit. Let's make an invitation. Maybe let's take some initiative, which is what we'll see next. Jesus is on mission. So are we. You look for the outsider. You watch for the interested. And then when you notice those things, you take the initiative. Jesus was stellar at this. This is so awesome. Uh, when Jesus came by, he looks up at Zacchaeus. He sees him up in the tree. Uh, and called him by name. Zacchaeus, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I love this because usually you invite somebody else over for dinner. Here, Jesus invites himself over for dinner. Uh, Jesus is like, I don't have a house, so I'm coming to your house tonight. Make a big dinner and invite all of your friends. He takes the initiative. And sometimes we miss what God wants to do in and through us because we're afraid. We're afraid of rejection. We're afraid of what people think. And so we shrink back rather than stepping forward. Jesus took the initiative. God took the initiative with us. Since we're, he was always on mission, we're going to always be on mission. And part of being on mission is taking a relational initiative a relational initiative. Having dinner together, even more so in this culture, was a step of relationship. It was an invitation to relationship. So when somebody opens the door or you see an opening, an opening, take the initiative, walk through it. What's the worst thing that can happen? They might say no. 
This is what Jesus did, again, back in Romans. But God proved his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What did, what did Zacchaeus have to do in order for Jesus to invite himself over? Pretty much nothing. He just noticed, here's an outsider. Here's a lost sheep. Here's somebody that's expressing some interest to in taking some initiative themselves. So I'm going to pursue that. And that's what Jesus did for us. Sometimes, again, we rule people out and miss what God wants to do in and through us because we rule people out. They're outsiders. They're not interested. They're, uh, they're too far gone. They, we make all these excuses. But maybe we just need to take initiative because Jesus was always on mission, and so are we. And let's look as we round things out at the results. What happened? as a result of this. So Jesus said, quick, come down. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down, took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. So here's a guy who had no, no right, no expectation to be in Jesus' circle and he's invited into the circle. So obviously he's excited and he's joyful. Something, something good is happening here. But look at what that says next. But the people, the crowds, others looking on were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Sometimes you're going to face a little bit of backlash if you live like Jesus lived. If you take relational initiative with outsiders who are interested, so what? Stay on mission, take the initiative. You're never going to please everybody, so just try to follow and please Jesus. The people were displeased, they grumbled, so what? I love... Um, this passage, I mentioned it last week and I actually found it as I was studying and preparing because it lines up. Uh, I told you about how Jesus, there's a lot of humor in Jesus' teaching and in Matthew chapter 11 is where Jesus is talking about his cousin John and he says, you know, what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind and that would be an analogous to somebody who, you know, uh, takes, takes the, the temperature of public opinion before they decide what they are going to do. Or did you go to see a person dressed in fine clothing? And of course, John the Baptist was famous for his rough clothing, camel's hair and rough diet and rough living. And, uh, and he's, but Jesus says, but, but God was at work in him and God is at work in me. And, and you, you, you can't please everybody. And this is the point that he's coming, comes around to in that passage. And again, Matthew chapter 11, it, Jesus says, for John didn't spend his time eating and drinking. And you say he's possessed by a demon. The son of man, talking about Jesus himself, on the other hand, feasts and drinks. And you say he's a glutton and a drunkard. He was neither, but that was what they said. And a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. And to that, Jesus would say guilty as charged. You're not gonna please everybody, so please Jesus and stay on mission. And then he wraps it up. He wraps up the very next phrase is this, but wisdom is shown to be right by its results. 
In other words, you're not happy with John and the way he did things. You're not happy with me and the way I do things. But despite our differences in style, God is at work and doing the same thing in and through us. So you should be celebrating that rather than pointing that rather than picking on things that you don't like wisdom is shown right by its results another passage translates it by something we're more familiar with the proof of the pudding is in the tasting that's what it's about and so what do we see in the story of Zacchaeus what what is the bottom line what are the results here Zacchaeus stands before the Lord and says I will give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. He's, look at the, I'm highlighting the verbs. I'm gonna give half of my wealth to the poor. He had become rich, he's going to give it away to the poor. And if, I love this, he's like, yeah, I'm a rich tax collector, but if I have cheated people on their taxes, I mean, that's pretty much a given, uh, I will give them back four times as much. So what does Jesus see? He sees repentance. He sees evidence of a changed heart based on what he sees Zacchaeus doing. And so he pronounces judgment. He's like, okay, I've seen what's happening. I'm just going along through, uh, I'm passing through the town. I see this outsider who is interested. I take the initiative and lo and behold, see how God is at work in his heart. He is repentant. He's doing the right thing now. His life is changing. And so he pronounces this judgment. Salvation has come to this home today for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. His life is transformed as a result. And this points out that we are not saved, as the Apostle Paul puts it in the book of Ephesians, from our works. In other words, you're saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is God's gift. But that gift has a result. It makes a difference. It's not from works so that no one can boast. Nobody can say, I'm good, I'm better. No, that's not how it works. But in the very next verse, it says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. This is one of my favorite verses. God is crafting you into his, another translation puts it as his masterpiece, his workmanship. And you weren't saved by good works, but God has good things for you to do. And in fact, he prepares them ahead of time. You can have confidence when you get up in the morning that there are good things that God has planned for you, good things that he has for you to do, and your job is just to walk in them as he crafts you into his masterpiece. And this is what we see in Zacchaeus as well. And then he sums it up, Jesus does in Luke 19 with this, for the son of man came to seek and save those who are lost. In other words, the results that you're seeing here, this is why I came. This is what I'm all about, to seek out and to see saved those who are outsiders and welcome them in. That's what Jesus does. And that's what we will do if we are his followers as well.
today we've been talking about making invitations. Jesus is always on mission, and so are we. As you go through your week, look for the outsider, watch for the interested, and then take the initiative. So that's the bottom line. That's the, and that's the next step is as you're going through your week, when you encounter the outsider, when you encounter the interested, take a relational initiative. Invite them in to your circle. That's what God did for us. And that's what he did when he walked this earth. And that's what we will do as we follow him. As we celebrate communion, this is a reminder of all the things that we have been talking about. That while we were still sinners, while we were the outsiders, that God sent his son to die on the cross for our forgiveness and then raised him from the dead, giving him new life. And as a result, we can have new life as well. And Jesus instituted the ordinance of communion so that we could be reminded of that on a regular basis. And I hope that as we celebrate communion today, you'll be reminded that of the initiative that God took with you and then it'll prompt us to take initiative with those who are on the outside today. So on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, the cup after dinner, and he gave thanks. And he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. The Apostle Paul teaching the church at Corinth about the communion celebration said, as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We do it, as often as we do it, we are proclaiming, we are preaching the gospel, the Lord's death, the basis upon which we enter into the relationship with God. Not our works, by his work accomplished on the cross. And we will continue to do that. We will continue to be on mission until he comes again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would make us a people who understand, embrace, and live out the Great Commission. That just as the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost, that we would surrender our lives, make ourselves available to be your ambassadors, to proclaim the message of Christ, to invite others to be reconciled to God. I pray that you would help us to be aware as we go through our days, and that you would give us boldness so that we will take initiative, reach out to people, include people in our circles, and that we will see you at work in our midst as a result. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone say,